0: Tired tonight? Could you tell? <laughs> I didn't do our intro right, but you know, actually, I have a really good excuse. I was thinking about dragons. Do you think about dragons? I think about dragons a lot, and of course, one of the reasons I'm a little bit tired and I need my my step toy tonight um is we've been working on our Kickstarter for our Draco Alchemicus launch. So, uh, you guys, you're gonna love it. It's it's got dragons. And more drag Draco alchemicus means alchemical dragon. there're dragons in it. Yes so I've been thinking a lot about dragons and I am teaching my course at the University of Chicago on Tolkien. We just started term this week, and yes, therefore I'm thinking about tr- Tolkien thinking about dragons and fairy and what they mean and why dragons are so enticing to want to seek after desiring dragons. And of course, we have to do what we planned to do last week, which was show you the realm of fairy. So, welcome to the Mosaic Arc. And I already played the intro, so now I'll just bring her in.
1: She's here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all I'm all out of alignment now because of this. I can't do this. I have. Well,
0: so last week I was, last week I was like struggling against like daylight savings time or whatever it was. Right. I I can't remember. And and then, and then this week you were saying like, what time is it? I don't, I it's like, I don't even know what calendar we're on anymore. We, the, the, the streams have crossed and we're out, out there in some kind of, here's my dragon flying.
1: Right. mystical magical land he's probably got a better concept of time I, than we do At the, moment. the dragon the dragon's <laughs> yeah. coming in for you
0: know yeah so hi everybody we're here to talk about dragons tonight i guess you want to know why <laughs> yes <laughs> yes well so for real as i said in my late intro just now so we are working on our kickstarter for our drake Chemicus campaign act one it's going to have five acts, but we're going to focus the campaign just now on the first act because that's the one we have written. And we have our artist, uh, Zay Nunofraga, making, oh my gosh, it's 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 travel into fairyland ecstasy looking at the drawings that he makes for our stanzas. It's like, maybe we can actually write poetry if if, if drawings like this come out of it. Um, So be, be looking for that. It's going to be coming up in the next month, and we're going to be really hoping that you are encouraged to give us money <laughs> and support the publication of our first yeah. act <laughs> because you want this you know you want this you know you want to save civilization by iambic pentameter and dragons dragon dragon dragon
1: No, <laughs> yeah, this is where our virtuous gold digging kicks in <laughs> we have to how else
0: i mean we want treasure dragon dragon yeah. dragon <laughs> and All of the stuff that everyone is always talking about, you know how boring it is hearing people saying, oh, civilization is dying. And it's like, what are you doing to create culture? (laughs) Have you learned to scan yet? Da-dum, 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 (laughs) da-dum, right? I don't want to hear anything about the greatness of, oh, Anglo culture, if you can't write iambic pentameter. Just saying. Because as we've proved in previous episodes, that's it. That's kind of what we have, English, (laughs) right? (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: mm. yeah <laughs> um well okay she thinks we have other things yeah, too i mean that that, we should fight a, the englishness no. but you know i'm saying as as someone who basically has english as her language we got to work at it
1: i don't want to fight english i want to conquer english
0: Ooh, i think dragon. that's a better,
1: better way of describing it
0: we need to yeah, bring a dragon I'm, in and I'm, hoard english
1: something like that (laughs) uh how would i describe it needs to be colonized by the cross yes yeah english has to be colonized by the cross
0: a giant Uh, pile of
1: gold in iambic pentameter
0: with a cross at the top because of course the giant pile of gold that the elizabethan pirates made was filled with crosses that they stole from the spanish so what did they do with them where did all these crosses go i think they i think they <laughs> melted the down and made coin out of them gold digging whores that they were
1: um, yes <laughs> they were <laughs> the gold digging elizabethans I, i've been thinking about this uh the the word angler very triggering this week because of what's been happening here in australia i'm not sure if i i've talked to you about it yet i've been posting things on my channel about uh a few Catholic protests that have been happening in Sydney. Ooh. And a lot of our Lebanese brothers and sisters are very unhappy with the, um, the, uh, the behavior of some people outside of church in Sydney. So they got into a little bit of a scuffle, but uh, very, very odd to see the media talk about them as white supremacists. <laughs> when they're not well, you <laughs> said, I,
0: I, of course, read your telegram definitely um and you've said some very interesting (laughs) things about the the whiteness of the supremacy
1: oh yeah it's odd it just it just occurred to me in the last week that everyone who's claiming that they're fighting it is really admitting that they think that it's real in this in the sense that they actually believe that whiteness is supreme which i find very strange because i don't uh but you know uh well I I mean for me white, why, I mean
0: we're talking about the whiteness of race rather than whiteness of the light of the sun or the whiteness of baptismal robes or something I mean the, the problem of when i hear white supremacy it's like yes, i need context yes. here
1: <laughs> Well it's it's just odd there's no context given so I, I i've been considering what's what's been happening with the Lebanese in Australia because for anyone who, who's who been reading my content for long enough, you'll understand that they're not white. And especially, uh, you know, this political category of race that happens, uh, happens down here, uh, the Lebanese are not classed as white. I don't know what would be the case in America. But um, they were involved in <laughs> race riots in Sydney in 2005 <laughs> against the Anglos. And so we've we've sort of entered this very strange moment with the language where people are throwing uh they're throwing words with zero meaning or uh you know it's like english has, has, has sort of entered its peak magical flexibility in terms yes. of the manipulation that people are doing with it yep. um so it has to be captured because Otherwise, we're not in control of what we're saying anymore. You know, we have no control over what the language is doing to us, and 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 how we're using the language. So yeah, it ha- it has to be captured. It's it's sort of uh, it's it's become so ambiguous now that people you can't communicate properly in English, even in Australia, because people are, are unable to um, use words correctly uh so they're calling Lebanese people <laughs> Lebanese Christians that are protecting their church from um crucifix desecration white supremacists it's just it's just bizarre so uh well so yeah. i think i mean i think the
0: you said it i think last week beautifully about the the you know the whiteness being this thing we want to be colored we want to have the rainbow and the light mm. and the and the you know the 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 fullness of the the spectrum of our existence you said it better than that um but th- so the whiteness I mean I think I maybe we've never said it quite so bluntly um, as we need to but it, it's clearly a referent for Anglo I mean that's in 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 the United yeah. States Anglo you know whatever wasp or anglo-saxon but it's English and therefore it's it's you know literally nobody else the Irish are not white in the Anglo um, lexicon um, the Welsh who knows what color they are? Dragons are red, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know the Scots—they're red-haired, and so you know what. It, so, I mean, even within the United Kingdom, the whiteness in in this sort of conceptualization of what is this supremacy that we're we're we're, we're supposed to to battle against is specifically the Angloness, the English. And, mm. I, I, you know, I've been wondering about why it got mapped onto Christianity, and I, th- I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one, I think, is it's a, th- some of the stuff I was reading in, in January about the image of Jesus in the Victorian Protestant storytelling and art and so forth. And there's, there's that phrase, and I don't yeah. even remember which poem it's from. It's from a poem because all of these things are always from poems that stick in your head and craft spells on you, right, work spells on you. The pale yes. Galilean right so that jesus is represented as as white in this you know you know what is that phrase it's from the it's it's from a poem it's like you know you've conquered pale galilean and i swear i swear i i think that a lot of this sort of you know whiteness of jesus is simply coming out of that one phrase because as we've talked mm-hmm. many times, and you, you show the icons, you look at the the spread of Christianity in the in the ancient world. Whiteness was not ever affixed to it as a as a concept until the 19th century. Um, but now it is, and so we we're fighting this dual dual problem of one, the empire which we recognize as as Vox, Vox Day calls it clown world, <laughs> crumbling in its financial and political and military yes. institutions as we speak. And then there's Christianity that's attached to it, and too to attached to it in many people's minds, of course, because they think that to be Christian you also need to have these these particular European political institutions, and and those are those are orthogonal is the usual best way to say it. they're not they're not even in parallel right they're they're at odds with each other and for centuries actually were the the, the battle between church and state was real and in the reformation it was as get lost to the yes. state because in england the queen became the def, you know the 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 defender of the faith and the head of the church now we have king hmm. is the head of the church but or whatever it is, right? And so you've blended church and state with the Reformation, and therefore forever after these things are are, um, corrupted mutually, I suppose. The Vatican, will leave the Vatican aside right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is why today I'm dressed like uh, St. Augustine's mother, Mm. for everyone who can see my um, amazing African bling. Uh, in homage to uh, St. Monica of Hippo, the uh, the African Berber, um, because St. Augustine himself referred to himself as an African. Uh, I forget where the quote is, but I have it somewhere here at home um, with him referring to himself and a few others as the, the Africans. So this kind of is in the background of our apostolic tradition mm. that this is the place where the faith grew and the faith blossomed. Um, so, seeing news reports, <laughs> the, the the kinds of things that have been said this week are giving me migraines because it's uh, what what they're saying essentially in calling. Lebanese Catholics, white supremacists, is they're saying we all have to accept the Anglo uh, church and state uh, unification that defines Christianity as an Anglo institution, right. which I just outright reject because it's false. It's not right. Um, you know, the greatest saints that we have are men from Africa and the Middle East and uh, you know, Asia Minor. These are not white men. Uh, well, or not women. Anglo, Right. yes yes well in the political in the political uh way of describing race right that that australia uses when it uses the term white uh, you know so uh i just uh this has all been kind of bubbling in my mind um because uh the christians in australia are very upset with the blasphemous things that are being said on the television the last couple of weeks and really our 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 mediterranean catholics are um, Suddenly, uh, very activated because they're realizing that uh, now they're getting lumped into um, uh, categories which have no relevance to them, and, and they're being painted as um, uh, they're being painted with words and with the the magic English words which don't mm. apply. So we're stuck in this linguistic battle at the moment um and it's difficult to to have it in australia because uh we don't even have an official national language so we're all speaking a, <laughs> we're speaking english that isn't an official language because we don't have one so it's like the battle over the language that isn't it's very odd very very strange well this is this is actually perfectly topical
0: to our dragon theme and our Tolkien theme and our problem of what are we longing for I think I I I'm, I'm looking so I've been re- re-reading um Tolkien's fairy stories and there's one place he has a nice definition of spell and now I can't remember where it is of uh, it's it's both Well, I'll just have to hopefully hopefully be able to find it later. Um it it it's it ends up in gospel as you know the 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 good the good word and it is the spell that you know controls other other living men, as he, as he puts it. And so, mm-hmm. when you were talking about what, what, this problem that we're in, this spell of language—that's precisely our problem tonight.
1: <laughs> about it's like where
0: the dragons are, and it's like I'm I'm dragging the mosaic arc over to the Tol- forge of Tolkien, and let's let's talk about like what it is we're longing for. And I, I, I this is my segue back into the pictures that we had set up last week um, for talking about this problem, but we ended up having to talk about sacrifice and um, Girardian doubles and scapegoats and everything like that to get you to the point where we can now return to the feathered image of the Mass of St. Gregory and say, what's going on in this picture? It's like, why why would this be the picture that twinned... So powerfully um for me, when I was looking at it, but also in the the representations in the sixteenth century, with the sacrifice that the Aztec are doing when they're feeding the sun with the blood right so is this is this an is this an I gave you some homework to do this about, so I'll have to quiz you a little bit um uh, Is this an iconography that you're you're actually familiar with this this it's um Oh. St. Gregory. In, so, in the image that I, I have on screen right now, it's it's the feathers, the the Inca feather image that's sent to the Pope, in the in the in the mid sixteenth century. But the 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 iconography could be, is is very very popular. Um, this is a fifteenth century um, Dutch image. I think I made a list. Oh, I made a list of them last time. you forget it i'm not playing art historian tonight you'll just forget just look at the pictures right okay so the eye cannot (laughs) look at the pretty pretty pictures. pictures and gold go ah, right because that's kind of the point that in in the image there's saint gregory the great who was pope in the the late 6th early 7th century dyson 604 um so he would never have been dressed quite like this it's a late medieval um Set up right. He is 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 in full, you know, papal regalia, before the altar, kneeling, and above the altar or behind the altar, or it, it sort of depends. It changes a little bit from scene to scene. The way it's depicted, there is um, Christ it, it, covered in wounds, bloody. In in this one, he's he's sort of standing on the altar, right where the chalice and the paten are, for the bread and the the wine, um, surrounded by in in you know sort of proper like um dungeons and dragons attributes of your player character (laughs) with all of the instruments of his passion okay so there's the 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 pope Mm. saying mass and over the altar here there's another i'll show you this one's a durer i do remember some of them this one's like to one side and you see that the the jesus um uh man of sorrows is standing in a box right so he's sort of represented as as if rising from the grave already which he's not I mean this is this is in no, no way uh, meant to be a historical image because it's not showing a anything that ever actually happened to st. Gregory even in story or is it showing what actually happened at the resurrection it's this something representation of Christ as he looked after he was crucified, surrounded by the instruments that crucified him.
1: Okay, so... It's... It, the way you've described it, it sounds to me like there's some kind of time travel happening. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that um, wasn't what I was thinking, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Well I don't know how to explain that thought. Um, <laughs> um No, I can't really explain it. The well, so it's it I mean there's some kind played, of travel there's a
0: portal happening here. A portal opened and something happened. Yeah, yeah. That that for sure is What's going? On. It's interesting. I can, now I can't remember how many pictures I put in this. Oh right, okay. So, close your eyes. Go back. Okay. So, it it, it in different kind. The, the iconography was very popular. There's lots and lots of examples of it from the late middle ages. What's funny about the the pi- pictures is it's not necessarily clear that Gregory sees anything. Right. In in some of the images, like the first the okay. first one, the painting I showed, he does seem to be looking at Christ, and Christ is is you know, showing the side wound and looking down at him. Um, But in others, it's not necessarily clear that Gregory sees this array of vision of of whatever it is. It's like, what is it? Right. And, and in the Durer, I'll go back to the Durer. What's, you know, bizarre about it is it, they all look like physically modeled as if Christ really is standing there on the altar in the box with the, all these, so it's a crazy image because you're saying, "Is, is this stuff there? Is it real? Is Gregory meant to be seeing it? Is anybody who's with him? He's always accompanied by the full, you know, array of deacons and altar boys and and things like that. Um, It's not necessarily clear that anybody else sees what's going on either. Hmm.
1: Okay, so it's a... It's an image... That they're they're not necessarily seeing, so it's not a hallucination. Correct. And it's not a vision necessarily because they're they're not visualizing it; they can't see it necessarily. Correct. So it seems to me like this is the time travel thing. I'm going to sound so go for it. (laughs) It sounds like it sounds like the depiction of parallel dimension, where you've got past and present overlapping in the same place there's there's definitely a sense of this
0: interdimensionality right so this image that i'm showing Mm -hmm. now is a copy of the image that in fact is supposed to be the model for what gregory sees over the altar which is the man of sorrows which as i was you know burbling my way through the that description saying it's never meant to be historically a moment that the gospels depict, right? There's no, there's no moment when the gospels depict Christ dying or wounded, not on the cross, standing in his in his in his coffin. Um, but there is, and this is interesting for those who insist that the Orthodox never do this gr- gruesome, bloody stuff. Um, an, an icon that was known in the in, in to be in Rome in the late Middle Ages. So that's why the Gregory Mass iconography is late Middle Ages. There's this icon brought to Rome from Constantinople. It's a mosaic and it's known as the Man of Sorrows. The one I'm showing on 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 the screen now is a copy of that. Apparently the original one that was brought from Constantinople is lost. What's interesting about this one is it's mm-hmm. shown surrounded by other relics. So it's like Jesus Dead in his coffin, but sit, sitting upright, surrounded by lots of relics of all of the other saints <laughs> so it's 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 it, there are all this inter interdimensionality constantly in this representation of well what right what are we what are we seeing one argument that's often made and the article that I showed you to help us think about this was by my dissertation and advisor my teacher Caroline Bynum, where she's talking about it's like Usually, what people in the in the scholarship argue about what's going on in the iconography is it's showing the truth of the trans transubstantiation, right? That it's trying to show the 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 reality of what by the later Middle Ages in Catholic teaching, Western Latin teaching, is said to happen in the Mass, which is that when the priest says the words of consecration over the bread and the wine, they are transubstantiated in the fancy Aristotelian term into the flesh and blood of christ and then there's huge debates throughout the middle ages about exactly what that means right is it historically his flesh and blood is it mystically his flesh and blood but it's somehow real flesh and blood so there's some kind of real transformation here mm-hmm. right how and of course the in the protestant critique of all of this by the 16th century as the i'm not even sure this is true but we'll go with it as the the, the urban legend about protestant critiques goes it's the hocus pocus <laughs> it's the the hocus corpus mm, yes which is the hocus pocus magic spell you know here we've got magic you know bread and wine that's now magically the body and blood of christ magically proven in this iconography to be there on the altar Ooh, isn't that gross
1: so this is when they're saying uh this is Uh, connected to the uh, reports of actual um, Eucharists becoming uh, bloody flesh? Is this why the Protestants are accusing Catholics of performing magic? Because of these proof miracles that they have, where um, the priests in, in particular parishes were presenting transubstantiated Eucharist
0: so I mean it could so, look very yes, voodoo no, to people is, from
1: the outside this is the
0: yeah this is to play devil's this I is kind of voodoo like right that's why I wanted that's why in my original mm. plan for this discussion which is going to chatter into a billion different rainbows as we talk through with all of these problems
1: that I was saying <laughs> it's like this
0: yes this juxtaposed with the the, the Aztec heart thing Sure, right? It's supposed to be real flesh and blood, and here he is yes. really bleeding. And what you're referring to is what um, Caroline, she she went on to do a full book on these blood miracles, these blood bloody host miracles. Called uh, The book is called Wonderful Blood. Mm-hmm. And yes, in the later Middle Ages, there are shrines that are said to have these hosts th- that miraculously were seen to bleed. Um, one is at Wilsnack. That's all I mm. remember. Um, and there's there, there, a number of them in Germany, um, which is where this the th- those miracles were quite popular. And certainly, from a you know a modern perspective or from a Protestant perspective, that looks like you're doing like magic in the the usual fantasy yes. world sense of you've said words and matter transforms, abracadabra. abracadabra. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it does. Which would be, if I put Protestant hat on, would be my first critique of what Catholics are doing in the Mass and what we're doing when we're claiming that the Eucharist is, um, is actually the flesh and the blood of Christ. Right. All right, so we have a big problem because... <laughs> so we've got something that looks like voodoo Um, how how then do we defend the mass as not being just another kind of human sacrifice yep it's a big problem
0: it's a huge problem. And that's that's why we got distracted last time with all the Girardian doubling and te- te- scapegoat and things like that, which is, <laughs> we're going to come back to that. Don't worry. Not you right we now. We went off the, the spectrum audience. last week. <laughs> we went off the spectrum last week. We had to tell you all that other stuff. But, but but this is this is why I put them together because it's saying the mass has been criticized within Christianity for centuries now as being nothing more than, you know, myth like as pagan or as as you know, mm. um, magical as oh those those heathen myths that we're supposed to reject about the Norse gods or the Aztec gods or anybody else's gods is isn't as you're saying isn't this just voodoo or mm. magic of an ordinary diabolical sort? Well,
1: that's what it, that that's what it seems like to describe. A blood host without having any, from the perspective of an outsider, a non-catechized orthodox or Catholic, to explain this process to somebody, it would be like saying, okay, we're animating a a fetish. Right. We're we're animating something, essentially idolizing bread and then (laughs) animating it through magic. in fact exactly right (laughs) it's like you've
0: spoken (laughs) i mean spoken words over the matter and the spell works and because it's magic it transforms the matter yes seems very alchemical we're sitting on this really, really hard guys. So that you realize that we know the problem because I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it, and sometimes in the, you know, the, the world of the internet, which is disembodied and discarnate. Um, it, it seems to be alleged that like, nobody understands that this is probably something that people were concerned about in the past. <laughs> oh, don't you know how, you know, you guys are just doing magic and saying we, we, do, we don't think that's what it is. But it takes some work, and this okay. So this is Caroline when she she looked at these pictures and she said, okay, that in the art history has seemed to be the problem that they're sort of trying to show something real, like what is actually being transformed in the in the mass and what. Her argument though is that it has it isn't about transubstantiation. This this particular iconography, the mass of Saint Gregory, is not in fact about the zombie problem. Okay. Oh dear. <laughs> It's like, wait a minute. We just we just set you all up to say, aha! Uh-huh. But no, it's not. Woof! Pull the rug out from under you there. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's it's sometimes I feel like we as scholars can make too fine of distinctions. I think it can be that probably because understanding what it means to say in this ritual, we have access in our time travel back to the moment when Christ is historically crucified. I mean, there is a time travel element to it. I think you were right in in thinking that. There is a kind of saying that we want to be witnesses to the crucifixion. And we are potentially witnesses to the crucifixion at the Mass because it is being done in remembrance of Christ and in remembrance of his suffering. So it it is time travel and also something else.
1: Mm. Well... It's it's time travel in the sense that when Christ instituted the the Eucharist, the Last Supper, he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And he didn't say, this will be my body and this will be my blood. He said, this is. Mm. Just that phrasing alone makes me think, okay, so this is present continuous. It's not a I know this sounds very woo-woo, but
0: you really need to stop apologizing for that. We're going woo-woo tonight.
1: We are going woo woo. <laughs> you got your dress on. I'm in, I'm you got in, your, you got your... I'm in Africa. Yeah, like I just uh, we're by anglos Um
0: <laughs> we do we do have some in the chat oh, okay. insisting on on the African whiteness. Silent Draco you be silent. <laughs> no, he says, kilt steer. At the time, the saints from Africa and Middle East were definitely considered white. Well, they're definitely considered Roman, which is what, you know, Augustine and company were. that—that not the same that, thing. That, yeah, we, would with, we would differ on that, whether it's the same room.
1: It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing, because why did white Australia then classify southern Italians as non-whites? I'm using, I'm using. Well, we're time traveling across being, d- different empires, too, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not speaking like an American. I'm uh, I'm using my own uh, uh, my own country's way of describing these things. Specifically, so I can contrast it with what you you guys are all doing up there in North America. You're in a totally different makes no like sense to Southern Hemisphere,
0: Northern Hemisphere. Like we get to flip the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're in
0: the antipodes. You guys do the realize we she's in the, the future down right down now. now. She knows what
1: she's talking yeah. about. She's been here already. <laughs> We're yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for, yeah, messages from the future. <laughs> See, we had time traveling now. That 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 that's good because we've got we've got a good indication of what's going on in the mass of Saint Gregory just by you and I having this conversation in two frames, mm-hmm. right? But we're not at the same time. But we're not. No. Okay, so you were talking about the
0: mass is a present. It's it's a it's 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 a continuing present in the pres- in the phys- yes. in the historical world, in anodomini. Right? So it's not eternal. It's it's yes. actually in time, not out of time. But that we are somehow and the mass seen into something else. That other thing that we see into so the 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 interesting thing with the uh the i'm um, now with the altar piece with the mosaic man of sorrow surrounded by the relics that when we when we are we we altar pieces are meant to show something of the mystery that's happening in the mass um it, it so mm-hmm. it, and it is interesting i'm i'm i have now been going to saint john cantius for a full year and i'll say face the altar guys <laughs> I really really understand why the traditional Latin mass people prefer the traditional Latin mass one because there is a, a precision and an elegance. I one of my friends I took with me to, to mass and he said it's like it's I mean it's kind of mathematical in the precision yeah. and, de- and and um, c- economy of the movements of the priest and the servers at the mm-hmm. at the altar but I, I'm absolutely it matters that they face the altar they face whatever the altarpiece is trying to depict, right? They're they're facing, and we watch them, we watch them and witness with them and support them in their standing before, you guys know that's where we're going tonight, right? Whatever it is that we're standing before when we are offering that, making that offer. And here with this this big reliquary altarpiece with the Man of Sorrows, it's showing you something of where you are when you're at the Mass. The saints are all... Not here. Their bodies are here, but where are they?
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you think? So we, we recognize that modern people in our particular media environment have difficulty with these mysteries. And um, we've acknowledged that from the outside, they look yeah. a bit strange and could look like voodoo or witchcraft or aztec Aztec human sacrifice how should we help them get to this to the place that they can see what we see
1: (laughs) Mm. um facing the altar so i'm thinking of this because we do in the coptic tradition we do this The liturgy is all about facing the iconostasis behind the altar, Mm. the area where we have the big icons of the Lord. So usually what you'll see in a Coptic church is just uh, inside the little altar nave, it usually has a curtain across. The curtain is open for the liturgy. So we have a revealing that happens during that liturgy that is not present at any other moment. The curtain is closed and then... Once Abuna, the priest, comes in to formally start the liturgy, the curtain is open, which um, is is recording the temple imagery of what the Lord has done for Mm. us in rending the curtain open. Suddenly we're seeing something inside. So we go into the Holy of Holies and then we're looking. The altar is there and behind is usually very, very large icon of the Lord, but fully, the... <laughs> yeah, very, very big. So uh, ratio no longer exists in the same way. You know, suddenly mm, the temporal rules no longer apply. Sp- spatial and temporal rules are changed as soon as that curtain is open. And uh, our priest will face the altar for the majority of the liturgy his he will look may- maybe two or three times at the congregation during the service but that's it for the rest of the time he faces christ he faces christ at the altar mm-hmm. so i think that's probably the thing that i would start off with is like we have this revealing that happens during that liturgy something is going on there that is not happening at any other moment um yeah so I the thing is I'm
0: totally with you. I see all of that as you're describing it. The veil is drawn back. You go no. into the holy of holies. There's this something else that you're seeing. But my guess is a lot of people are going to be like they're going to be looking at that those massive St Gregory images and simply seeing a magic trick. Is can 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 we think of any any analogy that might help them? recognize that they do know this experience even if they aren't aware of it
1: yes what about dragons should i tell them or should we let them
0: them guess for a little bit wait we it's the great and powerful oz (laughs) right how do we do this and and this is (laughs) this was the this was the great like so one To understand what Catholics and Copts and Orthodox and actual all Christians think like, you have to learn to think in analogy. As we talked about last time with Dorothy Sayers and saying it's all metaphor, right? So everything that we understand is always mapping. Language does this, right? You have a word Mm -hmm. that you're mapping onto. And what you were saying earlier, Kilts, about we use white and then it can mean these multiple things. And then you're saying the context means that you don't know which one it is and that, you know, language has this ambiguity so that it can mean multiple things. And so we're, we're it's like we're used to all of this conjuration, to use a loaded term, in our ordinary exercise of our imagination. It, it's interesting that then when it, we can bring it into liturgy, we bring it into the understanding of the divine, people suddenly forget how to think in um, correspondences and references.
1: Yeah, because the West has been liturgically damaged. So it doesn't think in terms of, um, it doesn't think in image language anymore. And it doesn't think in ritualized language anymore, in the sense of Christianity, as much as other parts of the world do. At least in my experience, um, because the more the smells and bells are bleached out of the liturgical practice, the less you actually have to read in the liturgy. If, 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 in by reading, I don't mean like alphabetic reading. I mean reading in in the symbolic in symbolic uh, behaviour and the patterns of the liturgy and the icons and what the priest is doing, we're reading it as we're going through but it's not just with the eyes, it's multisensorial literacy mm. and this is not normal for white people. When they think about Christianity, usually they're thinking Like Anglo Protestants in Australia, it's like you go into the building, you say some prayers, everything's nice. It's all very polite, blah 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 blah. Their walls but are all taken white. Out. Maybe this is what white
0: supremacy yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their walls. <laughs> they whitewashed over yeah. all of the art. <laughs> 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 iconoclasm. It's iconoclasm. <laughs> white supremacy. There, we've solved it. It's iconoclasm. Yeah. Yep. It's sim- it's simply it's 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 erasing. Yep. All of the art, so all you see are the white walls.
1: Yeah, no color. Pong's no color. No icons, no color. <laughs> and yeah, but
0: this is—I mean, this is so. This is uh, my my great my great analogy. I think I, I the, the great and powerful Oz is is the point there. But the 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 point is he's green, yes. right? Let's go to the next one. There we go. That's the one I thought I had. Oh next. yeah, dragons. Right. We are all convinced in our. Imaginative theater going that we can see dragons. No, it's just Benedict Cumberbatch in a weird in a weird light thing, so that they can film him making faces, crawling around on the floor, so that they can CGI guys can put the smog on him, and there we have dragon. Here, I, this one's my my little. Oh, so my this, little is the, this is the green nice screen and
1: <laughs> So this is the green screen image when he's crawling on the ground
0: right above a comedy central one where they they have smog in the outfit to do the to the image capture it's pretty funny right it's (laughs) because the dragon doesn't exist i mean i think maybe they did make make an animatronic head or something i'm not quite sure like some of the the king kong back in my childhood they did make the hand for jessica lang to sit in which obviously i remember that Mm. because like she was she was sexy and stuff and anyway i'm distracted Um, Cumberbatch obviously can do smog and they have him crawling around on the ground so they can image capture his body movements to make a realistic dragon and Mm -hmm. then project it onto this screen that the actors have to perform in front of without ever being able to see what they're doing.
1: Kind of like Gregory the Great at the mass. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody with me? (laughs) Yeah. The multi the, the multidimensional uh, experience of being a green screen actor. Gregory yeah. the Great did
0: yeah. it first. Because right? yep. <laughs> one of the things that Caroline, yeah, I think I said this, so I'll repeat it. It's like, Caroline said, not everybody in the scene necessarily seems to see what's going on. In that, mm-hmm. the green screen space of wherever the Man of Sorrows is being realized. And yet you as mm-hmm. the viewer of the painting, as indeed the viewer of the movie, see it. And 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 there is you know there is some sense of that is more real than the reality we have as the audience that this, the smog is more real. Your these dragons are real. My little mini mm. baby one is more real than you watching Benedict Cumberpatch pretend to be the dragon. Like when you go to the movie, you believe that that's the dragon, or at least some part of you be- wants to believe that you have that desire for dragons. Yeah that Tolkien talks about, you know, desperately wanting them to be there. Why? Right. And and the sort of mystery Mm -hmm. of what the dragon realm is for us. Tolkien was obviously Catholic. And so probably everything that he's doing has a liturgical resonance (laughs) that you want to pay attention for. Yeah,
1: it smells and bells in theaters because it's the, the bombardment of the senses in order to activate the imagination, isn't it? So what, what
0: I was thinking about with the green screens, it's like most of us know watching the CGI, it's not real. It's like we're wanting to, we, they yeah. had to film Cumberbatch making Smug because there needed to be some kind of real body behind all the CGI. It's, it's, not, it's, it's yeah. not convincing just to make the the, the animations. They, they all, you know, they need the voices, or maybe the AI will do the voices. Who knows? But we do seem to be able to tell the difference between it's totally fake and there's human reality within it.
1: Mm. It's the faces. So it, something about it. Uh, I think this is why the iconography is so important because if, if you're in pure animation, you're, you've removed the real human face, but those kinds of blends with the actor in front of a green screen, they can do all sorts of things, but the human face is still there. Mm. So it's tolerable as uh, as this kind of blend of um, art and reality. it's a kind of icon as opposed to making something which is uh, like, uh completely artificial well i i like
0: what you're saying but it needs to have that human the, the human face the mirror of the the human mm. in even the monsters in the dra- the dragons are more yeah. realistic to us in so far as they they image us mm. yeah which is a good start <laughs> 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 but it's but I was also thinking yes. about it's like the the this is Hermione handy books to the hands that magically, you know make make things happen that, you know when we're watching the movies it it is funny going through it sort of finding all of the ways in which they use these green string prop guys to make the magic happen that there is and I I had a thought about the Hermione last week you know, what was I thinking. Um, <clears throat> I to think about Hermione. What I'm trying to remember what I had in the thought about Hermione. Oh, that their powers, right? That their are actual powers mm-hmm. out there. She has to hand the book to actual human beings. But in the movie, they green screen out the the hands, so it looks like the books are shelving themselves, right? but the mm. the, 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 the feeling of power that the, all of these these effects creates is again, there's a human agent behind it. I mean we're always somehow that we, we, we're, we're constantly making these activities in the fantasy realm that still have the mark of our humanity on them.
1: Yeah, we're still participating. We're not just uh, observing. I'm I'm thinking like the <sighs> when the curtain is drawn in the in the liturgy the priest does a little um lap of the church and it's it's almost like um when Hermione's handing the books to those green screen hands it's almost like we're becoming the green screen hands for the priest in in a lot of ways Mm. Because we're there, but the priest isn't really paying much attention to us for the majority of the the mass. but if we if we aren't there, there isn't a liturgy. it's it's, it's the same with the altar servers which are sort of doing a similar thing. They're there, but they're not there. Uh, it's this effect of uh, A magic spell can be done in solitude. A liturgy cannot be done in solitude. That green screen activity would be impossible without people's hands popping out of the bookcase for uh, for the actress that played Hermione to hand the books. So that's kind of what it's made me think of. It's participatory, even if there is... I don't know if this is making sense well
0: it's it's it's, everything that we're doing is drawing out for me what tolkien describes about fairy right as Mm -hmm. as a realm as a place we want to go in our stories and our imagination Mm -hmm. as a place that we i mean he has a long discussion of how drama doesn't work as well as literature because acting it all out is very very hard to make it look real and, and the the, mm. I, the green screen and the CGI is all trying to do the magic that Tolkien says it's it's you know like on stage you can't achieve it um and yeah we keep trying right We' like this this the the, the, the yes. entire movie industry we got silent Draco saying weakest studios is good about having physical elements and props. I mean so yes we want it the, the 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 longing is to travel into this and just to, to set us up a little bit with Tolkien. In the opening of fairy stories, I think he says he says everything that we need to know. Um, I propose to speak about fairy stories, though I'm aware that this is a rash adventure. And, and you realize this is Tolkien, so every word is like 18, 18 references, um, that he's speaking about fairy stories, and it's an adventure, rashly. Okay. And his that's his, even his name, right? In the Notion Club papers, he's rash, bold, okay. referent, 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 referent. <laughs> Fairy is a perilous land. So he said he's going to speak about fairy stories. And what he immediately starts talking about is the the, the yeah. realm, right? Is a perilous land. And in it are pitfalls for the unwary and dungeons for the overbold. And again, I recognize he's put his name in that too, the rashbold. And overbold, I may be accounted. Because Tolkien means rash, rashbold. <laughs> and overbold, I may be accounted. For though I've been a lover of fairy stories since I learned to read, and have at times thought about them. I have not studied them professionally. Snicker. <laughs> That's basically all he does. Um, I have been hardly more than a wandering explorer or trespasser in the land, full of wonder, but not of information. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a realm with wonder and danger and, and um, rash. it's rash to want to, to go there. The realm of fairy story is wide and deep, and high and filled with many things the wide and deep I'm getting echoes off of something he, he uses a lot of his same vocabulary over and over again in all of his writings and mm. the wide and deep is the song of sorrow that um, is sung all manner of beasts and birds are found there shoreless seas and stars uncounted beauty that is an enchantment and an ever-present peril both joy and sorrow as sharp as swords. In that realm, a man may perhaps count himself fortunate to have wandered, but its very richness and strangeness tie the tongue of a traveler who would report them. And while he is there, it is dangerous for him to ask too many questions, lest the gates should be shut and the keys be lost. Now, it's, it's, very, it's very easy to say, okay, so he's just described fairy and, of course, it's dangerous and perilous. But there's other things that are like clues that he's really actually talking about something else, that it's an enchantment, that it's beautiful, mm. that it has joy and sorrow as sharp as swords. should i guess <laughs> oh you i i wonder, I, wonder if I if i trained you well enough to guess where i am going to inevitably take you but what does what does what do, because not because everybody so you know like all the dragon stories i mean he said he says when in in you know when he's a child he wanted dragons when he's talking about whether uh, fairy stories are particularly for children um hmm. and saying that that he had uh the dragon had the trademark of fairy written plain upon him i desired dragons with a profound desire of course i didn't want any dragons around but i wanted dragons i wanted the fairy i wanted some but Mm. then what he's described he's wanting the dragons take you there the dragons take you into fairy so Mm. what is it what is fairy what is he describing Dangerous, full of joy and sorrow and peril.
1: That sounds like being in love, doesn't mm-hmm. it?
0: But it's a place. He means it as it's a specific realm. And, yeah. and he, so a lot of what he does in On Fairy Street, I'm teaching this tomorrow, so you guys are getting a preview. Um, uh, that he, he spends a lot of time describing uh, how to get there, and language is a lot of it. So I, I, we're talking about. Travel into fairy tonight, and we've been touching on words and spells and things like that. But I think maybe I haven't got that in my head properly to say it. But he's he's doing it by way of of um, particular kind of crafting of language. He has talking about adjectives yeah. and green suns and things like that. Um, but the the desire for it and the longing to be able to see and visit, and the way he describes it. He's setting up a very particular kind of longing for that realm.
1: It's the... Um, <clears throat> it's like the, the transcendence from the mundane, from the... from, from the purely carnal world, purely material world.
0: Well, so interestingly, he says that men are actually supernatural unlike fairies. We actually have a supernatural element we have souls right that are about so mm-hmm. so our world i mean one of the things he says fairy stories do is enable us to see our world more clearly because all of the things that are in fairy I guess I could go back to um he he the realm of the soul yeah. But he says fairy stories yep. as a whole have three faces: the mystical towards the supernatural, which is when we're thinking about fantasy. It's like oh, dragons are supernatural, well, not exactly right, but mystically they point to the supernatural. Which he says men are, but elves aren't, right? So there's something about our immortality in the mystical, the magical towards mm-hmm. nature. So then we go back to Hermione playing with books, right? There's some there's something natural in magic, not supernatural, just natural powers of the physical and the mirror of scorn this is in fairy stories of pity of, of the mirror of scorn and pity towards man which you get when you say the elves have powers that we don't but they're a mirror like right? what well, we were talking about with the problem of being able to see our own face in the sto- in the in the yes. dragons
1: Well, uh, this this experience we have when we're looking at icons too. The icons are mirrors for us mm-hmm. as a as a race, as humanity, but also for ourselves as individuals. If we're talking with a saint, we're having this experience, transcending time because they don't live in time anymore. They live in the eternal. But they're talking to us in time. So we've left this uh, natural into the super. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Supernatural. And in talking with them, we see their holiness contrasted with our... (laughs) sinfulness Uh, so it's like this staring at elves experience because you're wondering how holy they are or how holy they they were and are because it's both at the same time and considering your own spiritual condition
0: You think Tolkien went to mass? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably a couple of times. Daily. <laughs> right. And, and he has, he has in one of his letters talking to Christopher how, you know, in the mass is all of this. It's the drama of everything mm-hmm. is in the mass. It's romance It's tragedy. It's, it's, it's everything. Yeah. So, you know, uh, spoiler alert we're talking about the mass we're talking about the liturgy I think I think what Tolkien is actually describing in this essay on fairy stories is his experience of liturgy but wait there's more right so going back to fairy actually has the same things that we have in this world um, he says um, stories about fairy that is fairy the realm or state in which fairies have their being um is is what we have in english fairy contains many things besides elves and fays besides dwarfs witches trolls giants or dragons it holds the seas the sun the moon the sky and the earth and all things that are in it tree and bird water and stone wine and bread and ourselves mortal men when we are enchanted I remember he said that at the beginning beauty that is an enchantment fairy is enchanted mm. full of joy and sorrow sharp sharpest swords now maybe you have to have spent your entire life thinking about mary to <laughs> catch the referent there her joys her sorrows and swords that pierce mm. her soul so the thing that the thing that Tolkien describes about fairy stories ultimately is that they are um, they have a happy ending, right? And what he calls the consolation of the happy ending. Hmm. I don't feel like I have the right picture on screen here for this consolation. That's not a consolation. So we have here Gandalf weeping in front of a green screen because he's trying to act to nobody. <laughs> that there is there's no there's this problem that to put Frodo or Bilbo in the scene with him they had to green screen the men and to make the Hobbit actor oh, yeah. small they had to film them separately so here is Ian McKellen as Gandalf green screened with no audience for his acting right so I think there's a priest offering the the mass in front of an altar in which there's nothing right it's like no that that's not going to work. What did I what did I put next? I hope. Um... Oh, here we. I'll do this one. So we have Alice going into Wonderland from the Tim Burton movie, where pretty much all of it's green screen. <laughs> so all yep. everything that the actors had to do was imagined the imagining what the scene would be if just like Gregory at the mass, imagining what the, you know the those with faith can see in his sacrifice the actors are having to do in front of these green screens on these sets mm. tolkien's doing that all the time right and he's he's thinking about how in the fairy story because of language because you're able to do this with the enchantment of your words enchantment requires language in english chanting it's chanting <laughs> Right It's the spell casting of, enchant- of singing of the liturgy, the enchantment, the beauty that we experience in that enchantment, and the happy ending which he describes as um, the you catastrophe, this joyous turn, the good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn, for there is no true, joy- true end to any fairy tale. This joy, which is one of the things which fairy stories can produce supremely well. Um, which he's saying is not as simply escapist or fugitive right in its fairy tale or other world setting it is a sudden and miraculous grace no word with Tolkien is ever accidental never to be counted on or to recur it does not deny the existence of discatastrophe of sorrow and failure the possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance it denies in the face of much evidence if you will universal final defeat and in so far insofar is Evangelium, giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. Wait, Evangelium? Wait,
1: what's that? The Evangel. The Gospel. The Gospel.
0: And I get, I get it like massively fairy taley weepy at this point too, because it's always the tears of the the eucatastrophe, the breaking through into, and this is, this is where he goes in the epilogue, right? The gospels contain a fairy story or a story of a larger kind, which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation.
1: The consolation of Israel is Christ. He's our consolation. The end of our grief. At the beginning of our joy. Is the incarnation of the Son of God in, in uh, the Virgin Mary. And the enchantment of the world. The reenchantment of the world. Because we suddenly have a name. That we didn't have before. Gabriel announced the pregnancy to the Virgin, which is Emmanuel. You will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that magnificent? It's so beautiful. Hmm. So yeah, we live in a different time, different, uh, different dimension dimensional experience of space-time after the incarnation of Christ.
0: Well, and it's what I see in this, you know, in the in the theatrical longing, now we we're still with the Alice in Wonderland and you have the Mad Hatter walking with the, I forgot the characters, the two women, the princess women, and they're being supported by all of these green screen guys, actually physically carrying them i didn't realize that in the in the in watching the movie right it's like you see it that it's all green screened and that there were physically prop guys having to carry these women on these litters it's very medieval (laughs) or, or, or a cleopatra or something right and that but that over and over and over again in our movie industry we're doing exactly what Tolkien is describing in this longing for dragons longing for the reality of fairy mm. to enter into it for it to be real when what we're always wanting and what he says we're always wanting with the fairy stories is to be in that story which we are actually
1: in mm. well just like the magi the magi the three ma- uh the three uh, Chaldeans that came right to visit Christ at his birth. It's that same kind of uh, longing and pilgrimage to find this supernatural. Well, and that it's actually
0: is real, right? It's his famous phrase, legend and yes. history have met and fused. In the gospel, yes, the myth and the history are both real. And and so this longing for the reality of fairy, it's the longing for the 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 secondary realm, he says, that you create through the storytelling. But the the you know, I think he I I didn't it had never properly occurred to me, even though I've been thinking about Tolkien for a very long time now, that he is in fact throughout this essay describing the mass. That you are wanting mm-hmm. to be going through that portal of enchantment into that realm where joy and sorrow are blended in song, which is what happens at the Mm. end of Lord of the Rings when they have the song of the minstrel on the field of Kormalan, which is the, you know, you find yourself in the story and the story is now being chanted and you are in that story. It's the liturgy.
1: Mm. It's magnificent. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's like a... Going back to the, the the Magi, but, the you know, these men are mm. tracking the stars. They're studying the astrological, and then they're following a new star in order to find Christ. But this is kind of the... Uh, Kind of a mirror to this experience, isn't it? Because it's like you're studying something like a story, and it's it's in the abstract. You're looking at the heavenly, but it's something removed until you're you're there in in liturgy, seeing Christ. So it's not just this abstract uh, astrological experience. Mm. It's not just. Uh, something to be studied. It's something that you're participating in suddenly. You're not just looking at the star of Christ, you're at his feet giving him gifts. Right. So I realize the
0: meta level here is brilliant because I can just flip through pictures, you have no idea what they're seeing while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is me with my constant green screening. It's like you're always green screening whatever it is
0: I'm trying to talk about because you can't see it because of the way the Skype connection works. So she's living this, you guys, as I'm doing it. And I forgot which pictures were in what order because I put them together last week. And so... Now, right now we have the Jurassic Park dinosaurs, right? Which we all we all want to believe were real. They're a little more real. And it's like with Chris Pratt doing his training of the dino, the dinosaurs, which is like obviously he's trying to do dog training. And I had not realized that not only are they like costume characters, but the the cutaway guys they, they show these guys are basically naked in these outfits. I think this is what the way they filmed. I don't know, <laughs> right? But that they you know the 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 desire for dragons goes into the desire for these dinosaurs to be physically mm-hmm. present with us constantly. I, I'm getting to the next one. Oh, right, the superheroes, which is what I thought I was going to get to while you were talking about the Magi. <laughs> um, that, that We're constantly wanting these beings of power to enter into our world as well. And yet the actors are always having to yeah. act as if flames and you know cities are exploding behind them and nothing is happening except they're standing on sound stages with green screens behind them and they're having to pretend to be frightened. And um, the when you're talking about the Magi being able to see Christ as Emmanuel through their astrology and that the, the, all of this fantasy work that we're doing in this green screening of the movies is clearly participating in that longing, which is what Tolkien describes as... Um, So the resurrection is the the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the inner consistency of reality, which is what he said successful fairy stories have, that they can have this sense of it's real. It's real. You want it to believe it's real, right? There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true, and none which so many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. For the art of it has the supremely convincing tone of primary art, that is of creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath.
1: Like love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that as well. Well, that's well. That's God. He, he the creator. You know. So, it makes sense that there is a resonance with this with the the two. because that's an enchanting experience for people. We have enormous amounts of ritual surrounding it. But really, if you think about it, so this is kind of interesting. I don't know why the thought just popped into my mind, but the wedding is a green screen event <laughs> because you can't really prove that it's real. There's a lot of ritual involved in it and a lot of words mm. to represent something that actually you have no tangible proof exists, but the ceremony proves that it exists. I mean, an actual wedding, a wedding with between a man and a woman yes a man and a woman getting married the ceremony Mm. because they can say that they love each other it's a claim right it's a faith claim there's no proof how do you prove it how do you prove it's real it could be biochemical it could be purely materialistic experience neurotransmitters (sighs) making them uh you know hallucinate that they're both uh in love there's no way of proving it but we it's a faith claim that we accept religiously, regardless of whether or not you're atheist or uh, a, a believer in, in the creator, people mm. accept the faith claim of love when they participate in this ritual of a wedding ceremony as proof that it's real. It's the same thing with the liturgical experience when we're trying to explain the, the priest facing the altar and saying the prayers and saying the blessing and then having that Eucharist reveal itself. The bread and the wine becoming the body and the blood of the Mm. Lord. It's the same thing. We're attending the wedding ceremony, the lamb and his bride, which from the outside looks magical, but then so does a wedding. It just depends on your perspective because really, Marriage could just be a magic ceremony where people are claiming things are happening that aren't really happening. Is this making this sense? This
0: making a lot of sense. This is this is the what I mean. So you're describing the problem of faith with the I mean the the, the concrete example of the the wedding and the marriage. And I'm thinking about the way in which in the West they t- you know by the 12th century talk about marriage as a sacrament, but they're trying to say this mystery of what's there. Right? that there's a there's yes. a sign of a reality and the sign of the reality and they you know argue over which which is the sign and which is which is that which is why they have the arguments over the Eucharist exactly what does it becomes bread and wine for real mean um they're not, they're not mm. i mean they're not it, in fact throughout the Middle ages they're never quite sure because they recognize that there's they're pointing to a reality that they know is, but they don't know whether it i guess in the in the the fairy story thing mystical magical or mirror right is is it just a resemblance Mm. is it a magic trick or is it a mystical referent yeah i'm more even more convinced that tolkien's Mm. basically talking about the liturgy in this essay
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if if you're at a wedding ceremony the i mean it's 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 a unless you're taking it as a mystical experience which people do without really consciously thinking about it most of the time but you've got a celebrant or a priest that's saying magic words and suddenly if they're pronounced correctly uh abracadabra you've got a man and a woman who suddenly are this magical thing called husband mm-hmm. and wife I mean that's magic trick it's as much a magic trick as uh uh, you know, like uh, pulling the right card out of a deck when someone has has uh, said, "Oh, I, I got a Ace of Hearts," but it's it's a it's a kind of liturgy that we haven't thrown away yet, which I find interesting because it's like the joy and sorrow of the wedding. It's, it's there, the, the mm. joy and sorrow of the liturgy is in a wedding too. People are crying, they're sad and happy at the same time. The bride's about to leave her family. She's sad because she's going to enter married life. So there's some grief there, it's bittersweet. Right. So people, are, people that are not attending liturgies are still having this experience. They're just not doing it with the conscious understanding that they're participating in something which to the outside does look like magic but within it, within the enchantment of the of the ceremony, it's real, and there's a realization of this uh, creative experience. Because everybody that's participating in it is creating something; they're creating a family. Mm. Mm. So when we have the mass you know, the 16th century Protestants that are saying, oh, they're practicing magic. Well, we could say the same thing about a wedding. You're just, you're practicing magic. It's contract magic, isn't it? And then how do you answer this? Well, you either uh, abandon the reality of something that you have to accept only via faith which is love, or you admit that you're doing magic the same, you know, in the same way that you would be uh, accusing the Catholics of doing in the Eucharist, but you can't, I don't know if this is making sense. I'm it's, just letting, I'm it's... letting you surf tonight. <laughs> okay. So she sees, because... so right
0: now we have a an evangelist writing in front of a green screen. It's like all of these words better make sense. Right. That, that we are, so I'd t- say, I've, I've been working on the Kickstarter with the dragons and studying the Tolkien course, but I'm also working on um, revising an article about the Salve Regina and describing Mary as advocate. And what I had to end up with is like, how do we feel this grace thing, mm-hmm. right? I was also reading Tolkien and thinking about, where mm-hmm. does he say grace? You know, it's like, it feels magical. Um, one, another of the Protestant, mm-hmm. you know, Uncomfortablenesses with the, the the ancient tradition is where Mary fits, and the the swords pointing at his grief are her swords, the swords that pierce her soul when she recognizes what's to happen to her son. Um, but that Mary can plead with Christ, and you know, and the the ridiculing of the miracle stories is always, and she just overturns his justice. And there's nothing, you know, it's like she can say anything and he'll do it because she's his mother, and. There is something wrong with that. But until I was working on this paper, thinking about it, um, wh- what exactly is grace when, for example, Christ is judging and recognizing that there's grace in judgment as well as mercy. So you think Mary's pleading for mercy. It's just because, you know, she gets to like overturn stuff. And you could say that's a kind of magical problem or yes. something like that. But there is there is grace is that thing that comes in the moment when, and I realize it's kind of inspiration and spirit and stuff like that, but the, I've jumbled stuff together, sorry, uh, that how to describe these experiences that we we know must be real, This this presence of the spirit or the presence of love or the presence of grace or the presence of fairy yeah. or dragons or the mass or what all of these things. And yet they constantly be keep being collapsed into. And my problem, in my my paper right now is it has to collapse into academic prose, which doesn't allow the existence of any of this stuff. And yet I was asked mm-hmm. to do this talk because I was saying, "Can you talk about where grace goes in law?" And I'm like, "Well, no, because what we're dealing with is whether are we living on a, you know, a flat plane, or one that has mm-hmm. a vertical dimension, which is supernatural, which is transcendent." And I think, do I get the next? Yeah, now I finally get the Tiso showing all the angels surrounding Christ. Right? It's like to to what degree are we able to realize that we live in fairy, which is you know the the the, the borders of fairy are touching us constantly, meaning the 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 reality of the heavenly. Hmm and it's it's very interesting how the the modern world one loves using all that green street technology to make horror movies, which I don't watch so i i'm assuming they do um and you know monsters and scary stuff and it's like we we we're are very good at wanting monsters that would come to eat us q dragon uh and and less able to recognize that the the, the that realm has Peril but also joy and we're longing for both. Mm. I think I pulled all the thoughts I had together there.
1: <laughs> no, this makes sense to me. This makes sense because the 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 liturgy is peril
0: oh yes because we
1: face a kind of judgment we face a kind of judgment when we um receive the eucharist we're supposed to go to confession first and everything but it is a kind of judgment not just in the sense of oh you know in a legalistic way you haven't confessed therefore you shouldn't be taking it because if you do that and it's it's not like this we eat christ he eats us it's a it's a we're taken into his body and into his church. So in doing this, we're not in control of the experience. What happens when we receive the Eucharist is entirely up to the the, the Kings, entirely up to Christ, whose body it is, what will happen to us in the partaking of his body. So this is a kind of uh, perilous experience, isn't it? Because there's no predicting what he's going to do with us once we've received his body and blood. We're taken into his body and then it's thy will be done. Our sins, our character, things that are not dealt with at the time, things we're dealing with, everything, everything falls into a kind of judgment experience. Because we can't hide it. We're not hiding anymore. There's nothing to, there's no veiling. The liturgy has unveiled us, uh, unveiled the Holy of Holies. The separation between the congregation and the, uh, the iconostasis is removed. So we're face to face with Christ in that time which is beautiful, joyous experience, because it is a celebration. It's the feast, but at the same time, there's peril there because there's a potential judgment mm-hmm. that we're going to experience in this eating unworthily. Um, so we, this, this is why we pray in our liturgy, make us worthy to, to receive your, your body, make us worthy to pray, make us worthy to do this and that, because there is a judgment that um, is involved in the experience. It's perilous. It changes. Uh, it changes us. It's not just the ritualistic eating of something. You know, you could go to going back again to the wedding ceremony mm-hmm. uh, example, but to, you know, to think in the analogy of a wedding, because that's that's the place where Christ uh, began his ministry with the people was at a wedding. So this mystical unification of a man and a wife was fundamental to his uh beginning the ministry and then the presence of his mother saying, you know, turn the turn the water into wine. So the the there's a kind of Peril in the experience because the man and a woman are becoming united in one flesh. They take on each other's uh, spiritual destiny. They take on the physical, the temporal, spatial destiny. Everything is changed in the enchantment of that ceremony. Which to me is taking the Eucharist because we're merging with Christ. So it makes sense that Tolkien would be seeing this and thinking, to enter into the realm of fairy. To me, this sounds like to enter into the realm of the wedding at Canaan. Mm. Yeah, it fits. It, it certainly It certainly
0: fits the, the sort of ordinary sense of fairy story as, a, you know, romance, king story and and that it the return mm-hmm. of the king is actually a love story because it's Aragorn has to win the kingdom in order to get it, the bride so there's wedding <laughs> mm-hmm. and that it is you know the um it's multiple layers of the story that Tolkien is able to to think in terms of but it's definitely the love story and the romance but he he described the mass as that right it's romance it's the romance of humanity mm-hmm. and it's I, I always enjoy talking to you because I I feel like the Middle Ages just stepped out of Australia <laughs> through the <laughs> internet. I'm hearing you say things that you know, nobody alive knows except for everybody who's read medieval text, That that your description of the liturgy, and I know you're coming from your your own catechism in your own and the Coptic tradition. It sounds exactly like what the 12th century commentators on the Song of Songs say is happening in the incarnation that it's the wedding of humanity and the divinity in the womb of the virgin. So it's a wedding. Always. And and so it it always gives me great joy that you know this. <laughs> Because otherwise it's 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 there in the you know, this scholarship and I'm 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 sort of thinking it's like, oh, you know, Caroline, she did all this work to show us all what happens in the you know, in holy feast and holy fast and the experience of the liturgy and to, to realize that they're Christians alive now, talking about time travel, that still see all of that mystery in the in the in the liturgy and that somehow, you know, it's like talking about Anglo and whitewashed, right? We lost
1: it all. Yes. That was my next one. That was my next point. But this is why I say to everybody, you need to go to Africa. You have to become Africanized if you want to reclaim your your heritage, which sounds like like a contradiction and understand the history of the Christians. Right. Because you've whitewashed yourselves. It's not like this person who made the comment earlier saying, oh, you know, St. Augustine was definitely white. No, he wasn't. What continent was he born on? How did he describe himself? How did he describe his mother, who was a Berber? A Berber's white. He described himself as an African. We're talking about geography, but we're talking about cultural geography. We're talking about the way that the church flourished and the kinds of thought processes that were happening amongst the people in the early church. And it wasn't Anglo-Saxon, you know, Enlightenment thought processes whatsoever. So... The language that is being thrown on us is inadequate it's bleached it has no color so to try and explain liturgical thinking in this kind of environment is hard because right i'm dealing with a kind of linguistic world as a copt where I'm fighting colonialism in trying to express how we think liturgically all the time. And in like a environment where, how should I put this? People that are thinking that the tradition is 19th century nationalism mm. will struggle with this as well because this is not an industrialized way of thinking. This is a catechized way of thinking. It's not industrial, it's liturgical. they're different, which might hopefully makes a little bit more sense after you've explained fairy, but the West has lost its- um, It's <laughs> lost its fantasy in in the capital yeah, f version yeah. that
0: Tolkien tried to recover for for the English i mean that's what he said he wrote the stories for England for the mythology that the English lost ironically right it's like you're saying that the English yeah. that the the Anglo-Saxon he you know is a scholar of old English literally the Anglo-Saxon language and wanting to f- write stories that have that feel that he found in the old English yeah. Christian poetry. I mean, Beowulf, dragon, Q dragon. You'll be happy to know that Silent Draco, who is the one saying that about Saint Augustine, is agreeing with you on a lot of the liturgical stuff. He says, he's, "Oh, good." He's, he's, I mean, like he's I'm not you talking on, badly he's against. You. You, I mean, it's the, but, it's the like, Silent Dragon who I'm, I'm making speak a lot tonight because he's there in the chat all the time. He says, "Kilt." Yes. This is Silent Draco. Kilt. Yes. In Eucharist, we are judges by the judge by the presence. Are we found wanting or given a mission for him? Yeah. Yes. So, exactly. so Silent Draco is actually he's he's with you on on most things, but
1: the, he gets it. Silent Draco you know, gets it. The, the no, dragon, I the have dragon to, that I Tolkien have to wanted this. was
0: was the Beowulf dragon. Um, and in the sense of what what kind of story reality is there that we lost, and and that Tolkien's writing this, he's writing it for England, for my country, for the mythology that vanished on us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he 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 well, it's says like when English lost gender right yes so it's the same thing. It's like it's like trying to speak the old English that had gender to modern English speakers, right, right? So it's like almost like speaking in a completely different it is a different language now. I mean, it's like losing and losing the fairy losing the enchantment in the english world is the same thing as losing gender in the english language how do you put that back after you've lost it right i don't know how you do it with linguistic genders but you can do it with the liturgy it's just yes the the well what tolkien did was
0: with this this you know everybody who's subscribed to unauthorized can watch my entire series in the forge of tolkien of these (laughs) This particularly these problems of thinking about language and history, and it's all there, right? Um, that he um, sees philology, language history, as the path back in time to the reality of fairy, And, and he does this in, in a lot of his different stories. I mean, he does it, obviously, in The Lord of the Rings, where he has them with the invented languages and such. But it's, it's, those invented languages are, in fact, efforts to travel back in time. So our, your time travel mm. insight was spot on <laughs> that they were, yes. we're traveling in history into this, you know, secondary reality, which is in fact our primary reality in the sense that we belong there in the liturgy. And he's trying to have access to that in a way yes. that without the, without the layers of meaning that the liturgy carries, People can't even see, right? It's like you're 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 doing nothing but looking at the green screen, and there's nothing projected on it for you through the eyes of faith.
1: Hmm.
0: So you don't see the angels showing now here the biblically accurate angel from the anima- the fabulous animation, which shows it like the, the oh, yeah. blinking eyes and the wings and the white it's all white it's a topical for this but that we can't see the angels and yet they're always there sorry i got this <clears throat> so all we see now we have the tiso image of the priest bowing before the ark all we see them doing is those mm-hmm. ritual gestures in front of the ark but we don't see the the presence that they are witnessing
1: Hmm. i mean i'm sure some people have but uh well we we as in the modern the modernist
0: materialist secularist enlightened enlightened yeah all myths are nonsense um because we were talking about myth last time with gerard and the scapegoat and the problem mythology concealing the sacrifice which is one layer of it Um, but now we're trying to, to get to this Tolkien. the fantasy industry is enormous. The, you know, the movie industry of green screen projection of other realities is enormous because we're clearly participating in this desire for dragons that, um, yes, the dragon is the motif tonight. The, the, uh, the, the, the stuffed one that I keep putting across the screen. Um, that Tolkien taps into and yet and this this also comes up in my course and I you know explored in the Tolkien videos how people are you know Americans are still embarrassed by this longing for fantasy even as we make it into a giant industry. It's like we can make money off of it, okay, it's hmm. okay. The contract magic, right? The gold, the spinning of gold magic, the dragons on the top of piles of treasure magic. But the I have a theory okay.
1: Sorry the Keep soul going. I'm I mean but the
0: soul the soul participation that Tolkien was actually trying to describe of what it happens when we're enchanted and find ourselves in that reality is
1: mm-hmm.
0: curiously I mean it, it's like we're embarrassed by it I, mean, I it, we would not okay to say McLuhan anything we would not be in the problem we are right now with the media and the the problem with people's emotional reactions to this absorption in the media if in fact we were more honest about our desire to be absorbed into that reality.
1: It's a frigidity. There's a Western frigid. It's Western yeah. frigidity. It's not physical. It's spiritual frigidness. That's the Anglo problem. And it's because they've rejected the Song of Solomon. Because of this mystical wedding that the, the West are not participating in in the lit- liturgy, and also Westerners being quite shy to read that, Read that love song expressively and to participate in it themselves. I'm thinking modernity would modernity would not produce a song of Solomon. We don't have that love. We don't have that deep, passionate, Solomonic desire for God, Mm. which is why I think I sound the way I sound, because it was Solomonic people that brought me into the Coptic faith. And the Semites have this inherent understanding of the richness and beauty of the unification between the the lover and the beloved. It's embedded linguistically in the language with the way that they speak, the gender in the language that English has lost, which really, I mean, in my brain, English lost its Semitic nature in, in this kind of way of thinking about how the language works. But the West also is very uncomfortable with this kind of depth of passion it's not expressive. It's become frigid. So that's kind of a, um, frozen, even spiritual frozen.
0: Why frozen yeah. is such a problem.
1: Yeah. So I was making the joke this week about, you know, um, Muammar Gaddafi's son, mm. the hot one that died, but it was this kind of, uh, meditation on like uh you know that part of the world and 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 that kind of culture when they fall in love and all of the poetry that happens when they fall in love and the western world wants it we're producing love songs all the time it's 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 infused in pop music Mm. and it's it's pretty much the only thing that musicians will ever will ever write or sing about but in terms of our our culture as new world westerners the white <laughs> Anglo culture is cold it, it does not have it which is why this reporting on like what the lebanese are up to it's it it it, it, it casts a shadow over everything else because that, uh, that passion is missing. It's gone from the Anglo culture. And so when they see it in others, when they see it in Catholics, it's terrifying mm. to them. Because they're looking at something that they, they, they just, they, they don't have they, have, they haven't participated in for a very long time. They used to have it. They used to have Mary. They used
0: to have... I mean, the, 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 my first book on the commentaries on the Song of Songs, several of the texts are by people who were English, lived in England, um, and it's like, The, the tra- we continue to meditate on the tragedy of the 16th century and the erasure mm-hmm. of this liturgical life. We're going to read from the Song of Songs for a moment. Let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, for thy breasts are better than wine. Smelling sweet of the best ointments, thy name is as oil poured out, therefore young maidens have loved thee. Draw me, we will run after thee to the odor of thy ointments. The king has brought me into his storerooms. We will be be glad and rejoice in thee, remembering thy breasts more than wine. The righteous love thee. I am black but beautiful, O ye daughters of Jerusalem. the tents of cedar as the curtains of solomon which i could go on right but which of course is all commented in the in the medieval tradition as a wedding of christ and humanity or christ and mary in the in the the liturgical meditations but this this you were right your insight your, your the the inspiration that you had was totally correct that we are always talking about this wedding in the liturgical Mm -hmm. context and that we don't see this joy and in the i mean not just in the fertility which is the sadness of the present but in this it's all it's all like colors and blending and and beauty and joy and that's what tolkien is constantly trying to describe in his fairy stories it's like the 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 wine and Mm -hmm. the and the the, and so it, it it it's ironic to me, of course, that anybody ever says that Tolkien, you know, is boring for women to read. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> it's just simmering <laughs> constantly, right? This, he's he's doing nothing but telling his love for his wife and and the great love story that they lived, right? This Baron and Luthian story. But it's it's like, how can you be in the presence of someone who is so much in love and not get mm. it?
1: <laughs> the angle of, uh, the Anglosphere concussion <laughs> I don't know
0: that they can't um, see when the priest goes in and is at the ark is the presence of Christ among in the incense and yeah, song yeah. And, and that all of this liturgical performance mm-hmm. is about and now we've come back around to here Christ is not on the altar but on the ark which is saying that that that, that, yes. that that temple liturgy is fulfilled in Christ, the presence of Christ on the altar in the in the St. Gregory Masses is meant to be showing the presence of God in this mm. realization. But, you know, go back to our previous episode with the Girardian Scapegoat problem. It's like we've been transformed by the crucifixion to see the reality of God's love for us.
1: Mm. Um, it is, a, it is, yes, which is why yeah, the. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, this is why the Lebanese were. Mm, angry. Yes. Because you can't have love without anger. They're in love with Christ. The culture has fallen in love with Christ. They're animated by this Solomonic desire. Mm. And so when you have a bunch of fluorohead neo Vikings that try and storm your church, where your beloved comes to visit you on the altar and give you his body and his blood. Of course you're going to get angry. Then of course they smash a crucifix in the process. Mm. So they're defacing an icon of the beloved and then all the whites are wondering why the wogs are getting angry. It's because they're in love and you're barbarians. (laughs) Anglo barbarians and the neo-vikings don't get it. So then they're saying oh They're white supremacists because they don't have the language to even conceptualize this as a reality. They've lost it. I don't know what language they're speaking, but it's this magical thinking of they, oh, you know, the priest is there and bada boom, bada boom, and then they think abracadabra turns into a it it turns into something else because they don't have the they don't have the wine. The, the the water is not being turned into wine for them. Well, this is our problem, right?
0: It's like the the what you know what we're trying to accomplish in our in our arc travels is. We we somehow you by way of your I mean we we both came at it from different directions in in terms of our mm. our journey, um, you through the catechism and the Coptic Church, me through all this reading of medieval texts, and you say and suddenly we find we're talking about the same thing. And nobody else in the world, well, nobody nobody else, right? It's hard for those (laughs) in our usual environments in the Anglo world to understand what we're talking about. And we just sound nuts. Um, And so Tolkien does try to explain, he does, Tolkien successfully explains all of this to C.S. Lewis, who then becomes Christian, but not Catholic, which is a little bit of a problem. And then um, Lewis, you know, spends his life trying to then to convey this insight that he had, this moment of joy surprised by joy he talks about that Hmm. in his conversion story of being able to get that the myths are real in this way that he had been longing for all along and that they're more real than real Hmm. and it it, i mean that both of them became very popular you know for their storytelling suggests that the hunger is there that people want this liturgical experience but therefore, it, therefore, it's curious that there can still be so much resistance in different, different ways, right? And I think I think you and I are mm-hmm. you, you and I are navigating a lot of different conversations to figure out saying it's embarrassing or it's. I mean, Casey had been saying earlier embarrassed by mystery right that their mystery does seem to be embarrassing we want science to prove everything and the mysteries to yeah. be unlocked and no more mysteries and it's like but do you really want to live in a context and what there's no mystery that means there's there's nothing but the flat of of um yeah. the, the the natural right no supernatural
1: but this but this is how the anglo police is the celt in australia right. this is what they did which is why I continuously talk about this topic. Now you framed it and I'm really happy that you did because they're embarrassed and then they're trying to police other people from entering fairy. They're trying to police Celts Mm -hmm. from retaining this enchanted religious reality. And then whenever anybody says, okay, so this is our this is our culture, this is our religion, this is who we are, we're explaining to you. You don't get to explain to us who we are. We're explaining to you who we are. We're ashamed for it. And you see it in the way people correct me all the time when I say Lebanese aren't white or St. Augustine is not white. People instantly correct me. I know what I'm talking about. We know who we are. We know who we're talking about. We get to explain it to Mm. you. This is the colonial problem. And this this is a big issue with the leftists Because I think fundamentally deep down, everybody has been damaged by the English language, the post-16th century Enlightenment Anglosphere that tried to disenchant the planet in this capitalistic, like, mass global supply chain supermarket experience, right? You've got all of these indigenous people and you've got all of these different cultures that have been smooshed into this supply chain and they're angry right they're turning to leftism they're saying ah oh, blah blah blah, white supremacy this that we're going to pull down the statues of all the old white man blah, blah 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 okay conservatives look at this and they say this is anti-white hatred i don't look at it like this i look at it and i go i see a bunch of indigenous people that got absorbed into a global supply chain by force in many cases they had their languages and their cultures disenchanted right. they, they were fed this frigid way of behaving and speaking and now they're angry and that's why they're trying to decolonize everything they want to be catholics indigenous catholics with an actual expression and experience of the iconostasis entering fairy entering this um, time travel experience because everyone running on Greenwich isn't time traveling. It's just you know, <laughs> around and around and around. Yep. So you're, you're stuck. You're stuck in Greenwich. So no wonder they're all like, this sucks. I mean, is it any wonder? <laughs> the, the funny thing is when we're trying to defend ourselves from being colonized, we get called white supremacists. It's like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. So that's why I'm always hitting back at this language because I don't want to speak that um, dialect, whatever it is. I don't know what you call it. The supply chain dialect. I don't want to speak it anymore. Well, it's, 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 it's like even, it's the
0: white English, ironically, right? What we, what, what we, mm. what Tolkien wanted to write in was, and this is what he said, what the, um
1: what. Mm. He was writing in dragons. He was writing in dragons yeah he got and he's
0: writing a dragon because he has this lovely discussion about the power of language and enchantment and how it works the, his essay is also very confusing and he says things in eight different places and i get lost from where he said them so i'm not finding it um Oh, here I found spell, finally. Um, He's talking about mythology and stories about Odin the Goth and the Necromancer, the Clutter of Crows, blah, blah, blah. Small wonder that spell means both a story told, a a, a spell, a story, and a formula of power over living men. Stories are spells, Mm -hmm. which we we knew, and now we have the... uh, Okay, this this is one of the most famous passages for me, and he's talking about the power of language, um, and the way it, its relationship to story, therefore mythology, um, and say we we're we're the inca- our incarnation is part of our our reality of telling stories. The incarnate mind, the tongue, and the tale are in our our world evil so it's not mythology doesn't come is not a disease of language and allegory and things like that, but language is somehow product of the storytelling, right? The, the the human mind endowed with the powers of generalization and abstraction sees not only green grass, discriminating it from other things and finding it fair to look upon, but sees that it is green as well as being grass. But how powerful, how stimulating to the very faculty that produced it was the invention of the adjective. No spell or incantation in fairy is more potent, and that is not surprising. Such incantations might indeed be said to be only another view of adjectives, a part of speech in a mythical grammar. The mind that thought of light, heavy, gray, yellow, still, swift, also conceived of magic that would make heavy things light and able to fly, turn gray lead into yellow gold, and the still rock into swift water. If it could do the one, it could do the other. It inevitably did both. When we can take green from grass blue from heaven and red from blood we already we have already an enchanter's power upon one plane and the desire to wield that power in the world external to our minds awakes it does not follow that we shall use that power well upon any plane we may put a deadly green upon a man's face and produce a horror we may make the rare and terrible blue moon to shine we may cause woods to spring with silver leaves and rams to wear fleeces of gold and put hot fire into the belly of a cold worm. But in such fantasy as it is called, new form is made. Fairy begins. Man becomes a sub-creator. When he got alchemy in there, lead into yellow gold, but also the problem of the mass, speaking the words and the transformation, yes. this is my body. (laughs) So that's the one level that the, that language and adjective adjective is describing things as they are. And as they might be and transformation by way of description is the power of fantasy. But then he, he, it flips over. And this is what you say that that by way of fantasy, we actually see our world clearly that we do see the Hmm. green grass. We do see the yellow sun. We do see, the beautiful, and that taking both, taking one takes the other away. We can't see clearly without fantasy, and so all of this mm-hmm. desire to make, simply make—it's like all of the ma- the advertisements and the magic spells of making us want things that we don't want or that are bad for us, and so forth. The flip side of description that in fact brings joy, and it's ironic that it's English that's being used to. Both murder that joy, and, of course for me and in my study with Tolkien and us for our writing Draco Alchemicus, um, <laughs> to recover <laughs> that yeah. ability to see the, the, the dragon, the green great gray, green the great green dragon that Tolkien says he wanted when he was a child.
1: Well, it's necessary. It's necessary because that's the that's the energy of civilization. It's transformative. And without it, we only have one other solution to obtain the energy for civilization, which is Aztec style heart harvests to keep the sun burning. Yep. So this is why our mass is not the same thing as the Aztec human sacrifice. Because they had to They had to feed the dragon, where ours feeds us to bring us into the supernatural. We eat him, he doesn't eat us. That kid's a dragon.
0: (laughs) i think so it's we we've come to the place where i go to mass and the steps are not showing yet the image that those of us who know where to stand will see um i I'm, i'm i'm i so we've convinced our audience right now silent draco and and casey are are having a nice conversation about spells um casey's saying spell is also a measure of time as in sit for a spell so, for spell is very southern, older mm. English expression. So we have spell as time that Greenwich, that that Greenwich strikes again. And silent Draco saying, "Yes, Casey, it's a specific, allowed but not measured time, perhaps expressed in pots, pitchers of tea." Casey, yes, spell is best defined as a, for a little while. Um, Casey, English is very flexible language. Could Tolkien have written in <laughs> any other language? Well, no, because he's actually writing the English mythology, which given how powerful now English is as the vending machine world, we do want to recover that mythology because we're all in it. Um, But he also, the thing is what Tolkien, Tolkien loved all languages, not all languages. He liked some of them better. He said they were like flavors, right? So he had wine, you know, and, and he liked, he loved Spanish because his guardian, Father Francis Morgan spoke Spanish. Um, He loved Welsh. He loved Finnish. He loved, I mean, he, he could taste them in its different flavors, but he felt like English had lost all of its flavor, I think. So he was, he was writing in English because he wanted to give us our flavor back. He wanted to give us the vision of the angels in the presence of the host that we see at Mass if we are in the right place with St. Gregory saying that Mass, whereas otherwise we just see... Some guy in a dress doing a funny dance.
1: Yep, and potentially some voodoo. Potentially some voodoo. So we 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 come back <laughs> full circle to our salvific, <laughs> satanic
0: satanic specific. Do not think that we have finished mm-hmm. with this topic, because <laughs> it's that. Where does it come? So Tolkien describes that moment when in the eucatastrophe it happens. And in the stories you get that piercing glimpse of joy and heart's desire that for a moment passes outside the frame, rends indeed the very web of story, and lets a gleam come through. Those of us who see that and have that want that over and over and over again, there are certain passages in the Lord of the Rings I cannot read without weeping um. because they are that turn when you suddenly realize you're in it. You're, you're, you've gone from being, go back to the steps, right? You've gone from not being able to see and then to being able to see that you are in that story. And we hope by way of sharing our joy that we can help you stand in that place with us. Mm-hmm. But what do we do for those who can't yet see other than pray? <laughs> Yeah. I mean... Who see only the white of the death and the ghosts and the Anglo bones of Empire.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's that Jolly Roger. Yeah. (laughs) There's no flesh on it. So... we just make poetry Ooh, good answer dragon <laughs> <laughs> learn to scan hopefully we can read our poem hopefully we can get the Eng- <laughs> yeah hopefully we can get that english heartbeat going again with the iambic because the corpse is really yep kind of stinky <laughs> we, wa- we, wa- we,
0: we want we want we want you to learn to scan with us and Dracol, watch for our kickstarter yes to be continued. Give us, money. give us money. <laughs> <laughs> we be pirates here. We, to we told you that at the beginning. She's a grifter. Yeah. Oh, I got, I got, I got my grifter gym. <laughs> I'm not, got, I still,
1: I, I'm not grifting.
0: I'm I still digging. have a, it's a very, very gym of the descent of the Holy Spirit yes. in our pigeon cloud. <laughs> Don't you know want to know what this mystery is? Yes, you do. Okay, well, we've had a stalwart crew hanging out with us tonight. Thank you all for joining us. I promise to do my intro right next time and not have the intro music before the... Oh, no. <laughs> all of the magic has to happen correctly or we don't bring you in to the arc or we hope you see what we can see. Or you see something different because <laughs> we're looking at our cameras anyway. <laughs> good. We did good.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we time traveled pretty well. Too. Okay,
0: good. To be continued. Thank you for joining us. Yeah.